All right, fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fan. We are live on Sportsnet 360. It's Ben Ennis, and it's Blake Murphy. And the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to try and close out a series in five games, which, like, not only have they not won a series in 20 years, they haven't closed out a series in five games in, like, a million years. They obviously haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967, but it's it's actually a prolonged period of time that they have won a, a series in fewer than six games. They have a chance to do it on home ice tomorrow night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's talk to a man who knows a thing or two about winning a Stanley Cup. He was on the ice when Marc-Andre Fleury made a pretty impressive save in Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final as uh, Sidney Crosby became a Stanley Cup champion for the first time. It's Hal Gill, Preds analyst, who uh, joins us online right now. How's it going, Hal? It's going great. I, I wish uh, you know my pesky Preds made a run at the mm. playoffs, but um, I, I'm enjoying the downtime, and well, I'm enjoying some pretty... Pretty exciting hockey over the last week. It's been uh, eventful, to say the least. So, fun to watch. Yeah, it has been eventful. Uh, it, it's been very exciting for Leaf fans. It's been very surprising for Leaf fans to flip the script and, and come back from a three-goal third-period deficit to take a 3-1 series lead on a yeah. Tampa Bay Lightning team that has won three consecutive conference championships. Um, Hal, you, you, you've seen this team over the years, and especially recently in the postseason. Does it does it look like a different team? Like results aside, do the Toronto Maple Leafs look like they are different than previous incarnations who would wilt under the pressure, uh, not be able to close out a series? Well, that that's the challenge, right? I, I think <laughs> I I've always said, oh, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. They they've got the high end talent to to put teams away that can put you on your heels, and and they show it, and then all of a sudden it slips away, and like you know. I don't know how everyone's looking at it, but the next game is, I, I think it's got to be considered a must win for them because if they don't win it, they, they're those creepy crawlies, the sphincter, <laughs> sphincter factor is going to come back and get you. I, I think that's the challenge and you, you don't know until you prove it. And then once you prove it, watch out, you know, then, then you, then you say, you know, you got that, whatever it is, that gets you over the hump. Now you have it and now you can go, and and go about your business but until they break through that glass ceiling uh, i think it's always going to be in the back of their minds yeah you don't want the creepy crawlies and the sphincter factor to to crop up at the same time um so yeah they're they're, they're up 3-1 and nobody like nobody in the city of toronto hall is is putting the cart before the horse everybody is well aware that the, they need to see the fourth win put on the board before they start thinking about the next round or or talking about this era of toronto maple leafs hockey you played for a team in the Montreal Canadiens after your Penguins days that came back from a 3-1 series hole Don't against that out there. a Washington Capitals team that was the best in hockey during the regular season at an all-time great, uh, also playing on it. What, can you tell me how the, the final three games of that series went? How you, And, yeah, you got some great goaltending from Yarrow Halak, no doubt. But, like, could you see it on the faces of those Capitals players? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, to be honest with, that's probably the best feeling you can, you can ever have is, is seeing the other team go through it going, Oh, they're, they're crumbling. And uh, you know, there comes a point and I remember Jacques Martin came in and we were all in that locker room in Washington and it, you know, he looked around and he's like, you know, this isn't about me anymore. Uh, this is about you guys. Like this is, this is all on you. You can, 
you can do what you want with it, but it's it's you. And I think as soon as we took ownership of it, um, you know, looking around, you know, Brian Jonta, our leader, um, you know, Scott Gomez, Josh Georges, you know, all these guys looked around, Travis Moen, um, you know, Camilleri was on a heater, and, and we were saying, okay, we have to play the right way. We have to go out there and, and prove it and prove it to ourselves and prove it to each other. And we played for each other and, and then coming around and making it work. And with, with Washington, I remember that game seven, it was just, they, they just ran out of that, that swagger that we took it away from them. And I think that's what you, you know, in the end, that's what you're trying to do in a, in a playoff series is, is pull away their swagger, take them momentum away from them enough that, it kind of puts them on their heels and and that's what we did. And that's, you know, that's how you have to win a seven game series. It's not easy to do, but um, it's a pushback and it's to stick to it. And we always called it the, the stick to itiveness and, and we had it and we, and we stuck to it and good goaltending helps. Um, but you, you got to go out and you need guys to step up. Who's going to be the guy that steps up. And you're always hoping if you're especially early in your career, can you be that guy that steps up because, that sets you up for the rest of your career where you're everyone knows you're the guy that's going to step up. Well, there the Leafs have gone out and tried to get that guy a couple of times or get those guys plural. And obviously it hasn't worked because we're still talking about the, the first round thing, even though some of those players have been very good. It, it does seem like they're getting a little bit more of that oomph this year from Ryan O'Reilly, who, you know, has obviously an unbelievable playoff reputation and a guy in Luke Shen, who you played with back pretty early in his career. I was guilty yeah. of thinking, you know, maybe Luke Shen didn't have every game playoff series juice left in him. What have you seen from him at this stage that's helped make him so effective? And what is, you know, he, he's a pretty veteran guy at this point. What what can a guy like that add to this team? Yeah, you know what? I don't think there's a, a harder worker in the game. Uh, Luke, both the Shens, they'll stick to it. They'll get out there and, and work for it. Um, and I, I really got to appreciate playing with, with Luke in Philadelphia and seeing how he operates. And he's just a professional and he, and he's gone and had, I, I think he's one of those stories where, you know, you go and you have some success playing in Tampa and everything kind of comes together for him. And he, he's taken that and, and owned it. And that's kind of what I was talking about. You look at Ryan O'Reilly is, is I mean, he was in, he was in Buffalo and I remember everyone just downing him and saying he couldn't, he couldn't play, he couldn't keep up with the game, and he goes to St. Louis and and plays out of his mind. He's like, I mean, talk about a, a great playoff series when went and they won the cup. But um, you know, I'll throw another guy in there, Nolachari. I, I think you pick him up, and those are the guys that like they're blocking the shots, they're making the play, they're they're going to be the clutch guy that gets it done. And I think you can have all the the, the top dogs. You know, we I mean, we look at Pittsburgh. We talk about uh, Malkin and Crosby, but in that game seven, it was Max Talbot that jumped up and got two big goals. Yeah. And so the fun part about all this is, is you need the, the, the other pieces. And, you know, we, we talked about it in, in Pittsburgh. I was playing with Rob Scuderi, and we weren't the sexiest D pair out there, but we got it done and, and took care of our end. And, and so all those little things add up to wins. And I think, you know, maybe – 
with those additions that the, the Leafs have made, that's that may be the one that gets them over the top. Well, and, and you know what? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about Ryan O'Reilly, and, and this is exactly why he was acquired and, and does have a, a huge goal in the series and won a huge faceoff that resulted in the overtime goal in Game 3 as well. But, yeah, it's, it's the Conn Smythe stuff. It's the also winning a Stanley Cup, but also in a, in a Game 7 stuff. And I wonder how you were you were a Stanley Cup winner after you know the, you guys win that that second consecutive trip to the Cup final against the Red Wings and you win in Game Seven and you sign with Montreal and and I imagine during that series you were getting some of the same looks that Ryan O'Reilly is getting during the the intermissions of these playoff games for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, what kind of responsibility is that when when you are a guy that's been through it that you played twenty minutes a game during a Stanley Cup run and then you go somewhere else and you're asked to to be the guy that has that experience? What what is Ryan O'Reilly going through right now? Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's interesting because um, everyone has a different story, right? I mean, like guys get there in different ways, and so everyone has their story. And I always laugh because you know I made it to. Game six and lost in '08. We lost to Detroit in the mm-hmm. in the finals and 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 you know and looking around and be like, oh, you you might never get that shot again. You you never get it. You might never get that chance. And you and you blew it. And you'll never be a Stanley Cup winner, even though you played pretty much the same amount of games. You made it that far, but you you didn't put it over the top, and you don't have whatever it is that makes a Stanley Cup winner a winner and uh and so i i think when guys are looking at you they're looking for that that little edge whatever it is that that composure i think the ultimately at the end it, it comes down to who's going to make the the right play at the right time who's not going to get nervous about it who has been there before um and, and you know it's one of my favorite things ever is dan bilesma before game seven he said how many guys have played game sevens? And, you know, some guys raised their hand and then said, how many played Stanley Cup final game seven? And I think it might have been Sakura was the only one that, that uh, raised his hand. And he said, I've been playing these my whole life. You know, everyone plays to be in that position. You know, if you're on the driveway, you're, you're, no one scores a goal for the, the third game of uh, the, the regular season. They, they're, they're scoring the, the big goal that wins it all. And so I think if you have that mentality where you're like, I've been here before and I've done it. Mm -hmm. I think people, people respect that. And I I do think not just the guys in the locker room, but guys on the other teams, they know, they know this guy's been here. He knows what it takes and he's going to, he's going to give me everything he's got. And so um, I, I think there's a little mental edge there that you get by having been there, but, Getting getting to that where you've been there, uh, that's that's the, the where you get over the hump. So I think that's that's big. We're, with O'Reilly, Shen, these guys have been through that, and they can say, "Hey, this is how it goes." And and people, maybe it's just the belief in it. Maybe Austin Matthews looks over and says, "Okay, I believe in it now because this guy knows." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, hard not to believe after the way they came back in Game Four to tie that game and then win it yeah. in overtime. I mean, and they're they're playing a team that has been to three straight Stanley Cup Finals, winning two of them. Your that Penguins team, yeah, as we, we've mentioned, made it to back to back Finals. Uh, and you guys looked pretty good in the second one, I, I'd say. So, so maybe this isn't. Uh, maybe you can kind of discount this theory, but like we're talking about maybe cumulative wear and tear and like exhaustion for this this Lightning team. Like how. 
like not even just getting through four rounds of the playoffs, but in consecutive years, what, what does that do to you physically? Yeah, it, it wears you down. Yeah, you know, the, the hard part uh, I find is I, almost every playoff series I've ever been in, I've, I had some sort of injury, you know, and it's it just the nature of the game. You know, that first series, probably two different injuries, you know, it's you're putting, you know, you get a, a block shot, so you have a bruise, and then, you know, your shoulder gets tweaked. And so then the next round, you know, your back is, is tight, it's seized up. You got a cross check in the rib. Um, you know, it, that wear and tear keeps going. And if, with every round you're playing, you get another one. And so you stack those uh, year on year. And especially when you get older, it, those, those injuries don't go away. And so they, you know, you might have the after effects of, of five to six injuries that you're bringing into the next year because you don't get the quick turnaround. Um, and, and you look at all, all these guys that have been battling for Tampa Ryan McDonough came to the Preds, and 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 I I do think they miss him. I I really think they miss him. He's oh, just sure. that calming influence on the back end. Um, but but a guy like him, you know, like he said it. He's like, it's been a long few years, and you know, through the COVID and the emotional wear and tear that they had to go through, the mental struggles, and then the physical battles. It's it's a lot for these guys to take. So. Uh, the thing is, is they have a full team of guys that believe that they're going to get it done. They're not, they're not in a panic. And so they have that edge. They have a full team that, that believes in it. So uh, it's going to be tough to knock these guys off, but uh, it has to be at some point, someone's got to do it. Right. So why not, why not the Leafs? Yeah, why not the Leafs? And at some point, they have to get through in the first round because uh, you can only go so long making the same jokes and, and <laughs> without refreshing the material. Um, Hal, you, you were just talking about the injuries over the course of a series and a playoff run. And, of course, with that comes guys are going to be in and out of the lineup a little bit. Um, the Leafs are dealing with that decision heading into Game 5, not because of injury, but because Michael Bunting was suspended for Games 2, 3, and 4. They obviously lost Game 1. They've won the last three. They are opting not to bring Michael Bunt, at least as of reporting from, from today's practice and Sheldon Keefe's comments, if nothing changes tomorrow, Michael Bunting is going to stay in the press box as a healthy scratch, in part, it seems, because while well, the team just won three games in a row. Um, what is your experience with how the room kind of uh, reacts and adjusts to things like that? Like, would, would there be a bit of an unsettling feeling if, if that group had just won three in a row and a guy who hadn't been there for those three games gets his spot back immediately while things are going well? What is the room's kind of reaction to guys coming back from suspension or from injury while things are going well? Yeah, well, winning is sacred, right? <laughs> and you don't mess with it. You know, and if you have a winning lineup, um, I, I don't know how you, you change it. Nice has looked good. I've from, from what I've seen, you know, he, he fits in. It's not like a, it's a problem. Um, it's a tough situation though. I think it all back to the player. How, how is he going to handle it? And the coaching staff talking to him and saying, Hey, you know, I, you know, understanding, what you're putting a guy up to is, is, is and saying, Hey, Bunty, you're going to miss a game and explaining it to him and telling him, you know, you know, I, I remember, you know, lots of guys that you thought would be in a lineup that weren't in the lineup. And, um, you know, everyone wants everyone to play, you know, that's being part of a team, but someone's got to be out. And in order to make a deep run, 
you're going to need those guys. So you need to tag them along and you need to have them ready. I just think, that you, you know, winning is everything. And if you, if you're winning, you don't change it if you don't need to. And I think uh, right now the Leafs are in a good spot after, after winning some games, I, I wouldn't change it. So Bunting has to understand that. I think being, being a pro, you have to understand that, you know, you're, you're here to win and this is your job and you're not part of the winning right now, but certainly if they do win, they're going to need them down the road. There's no doubt. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a tough challenge. Hard part about being a pro, but Hey, if you're good, if you're going to win, he'll take it. Yeah. No. And he said all the right things today, uh, accepting his yep. spot in the press box. How this is great. Thanks for uh, taking the time today. Hey, thanks for having me guys. I really appreciate it. I'll go back to gardening since I have nothing else to do. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> late in the game for gardening, six o'clock gardening. Although I guess you're on central time. So five, but even five o'clock gardening. Come on. What's that about? <laughs> I'm just trying to kill a day, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know wait, waiting for hockey to start. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could help you out then. See you, Hal. I appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right, you too. There's Hal Gill, Stanley Cup champion, defenseman, Preds analyst, and uh, green thumb gardener. Yeah, that's late to be gardening. You can't, gardening's a, a morning activity, I find. I don't own a home. Okay, so you can't speak to this? You've never no. gardened? I have. Uh, no, in your life. There's I, never been some gardening. Well, like if my chores were to like water the lawn and oh. help my dad mow it or whatever, oh, like chores, yeah. But I, I live in downtown Toronto and work but in you, sports. You don't have house plants. I have house plants, but I don't. I don't consider that gardening. Uh, like I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I've been in my apartment for over two years and none of the plants have died. Yeah, good for you. It's a, it's a good little thing. But uh, all I have to do is like pour a little water in there. And make sure I don't knock them over. That's it. I don't, well, think, I don't think I that. get a green thumb for that. Nah, okay. Uh, light green. Um, Hal Gale said um, winning is sacred. Mm-hmm. That, that that's, to me, encapsulated the entire decision here. Winning is sacred, and you did it. I don't know how you did it, <laughs> honestly. It was still unbelievable a couple of days later that you came back from 4-1 in the third period against the three-time conference champions two-time Stanley Cup champions um, getting outplayed for at least the opening 20 minutes of the game, but you did it. You did it without Michael Bunting. You did it three straight times with Matthew Nyes. He's done it six times with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Undefeated. Yeah, he's, he, don't, he doesn't know what it feels like to, to look up at the scoreboard at the end of a Toronto Maple Leafs game and see an L there. Like, it's just, they don't put an L on the scoreboard, but you know what I mean. No, uh, they don't. They but don't yeah. just flash it. L, L, L. <laughs> yeah, because usually, yeah. The whole... Also, if you were on the road, it'd be really weird yeah. if instead of celebrating <laughs> the home team's win, they were yeah. just like, road team loses. loses. Yeah. So I, I, I totally... I'm even more emboldened in my belief that the guys in that room, as much as they, I'm sure, love Michael Bunting, and he's great pals with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and they can, and in the offseason, go play tennis or top, whatever it is that they do. Also, like, not uh, there as a charity case. Like, 46 goals over the last two years playing primarily in the on the top line. And he's going to get paid in the offseason. Yeah, like, like, he's a good hockey player, it should also be said. Yeah. But I get it. No, no, no. Uh, totally. I still think that the winning a sacred thing... Uh, if you get out of this round, it's a reset round to round. I don't know. I think that's... <laughs> if they win to, if they win tomorrow, uh, it'll be interesting to talk about that. All right. Um, let's talk about the NBA playoffs, can we? Can Briefly? I give away some tickets first? Oh, give away some tickets. Yeah. Been waiting all show to give people Toronto <laughs> FC tickets. TFC taking on New York City FC this Saturday night at 7.30 down at BMO Field. And we've got tickets to give away. And guess what? 
The Leafs are going to win on Thursday and wrap up the series. So you don't have to worry about a conflict. Mm. TFC, New York City FC, Saturday at 730 at BMO Field. To enter for your chance to win, text the code word Bradley to 590-590 right now. The winner will be selected tomorrow. Also at the game, fans can check out the Budweiser Kings Club where you can bring your community kit to be designed by an artist on site. Or you can purchase a new kit there to be designed as well. Uh, For more details on that, visit sportsnet.ca slash 590-590. Again, text code word Bradley to 590-590 right now. Go to sportsnet.ca slash 590 to find out more about the community kit at Budweiser Kings Club. Sounds like there's a lot of fun stuff going on down there Saturday. Uh, I know there's some fun stuff that you're going to be diving into tonight because the, the NBA CBA oh, yeah. has just been ratified. Well, this is the, the big question now is when do I get my hands on the document? That's it. Well, I mean, if it happens tonight, I, so the, num, 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 no, for you. my, like, I think best case scenario here is Leafs win Thursday night. I get the document Friday. I'm like, I I'm late for the show Friday because I'm like 200 pages in, but I haven't got through the whole 600 pages yet. And then that's my weekend. In, I'm, I'm in at the Blue Jays the- game on Saturday, feet up on a 500 level section, reading the CBA with my highlighter I, out. This is so you will read the entire CBA. Uh, eventually. I, I can't no, imagine, I, know, but I can't you, imagine I'll get to it I, until. Okay, but I'm going to ask this question. Like, not not Canadian NBA media. In all of North American NBA media, how many of them are going to read the whole CBA? Because you will. You, like, this is no, no fraud, okay, with, with, with his CBA Yeah, knowledge. I mean, I have, like, I have the current CBA, like, saved as a, a PDF uh, on my computer <laughs> with, like, marks on it so I know when I need to find something or refresh on something, you I can find nut. it really quickly. No, you're, you're, and you can't do that unless you go through it the first time initially. Now, am I going to nut. stress letter for letter over, like, some of the insurance terms on a standard <laughs> player contract? No, but I can already tell you right now from, like, the 91-page term sheets that are out there, oh like, even something as simple as, the injury protection or insurance, if you prefer the term, on an Exhibit 9 contract in training camp has changed in this new CBA. Like, there are a million th- little things that will change, and... You didn't answer the question. How many other a- NBA media people will have read the entire CBA, do you think? I do not know. If uh, you had to you- guess, though, like, do you, do you make, like, single digits? We're thinking, I'm, I, I can't imagine it's more than, than nine. Like, um, nine actually seems like an astronomical note. Bobby Marks, reading the CBA. Yeah. Guaranteed. That's what he's doing. Yeah. He'll Who be else? doing it for sure. Uh, Keith Smith, the spot track, will probably do it. Mike Vork- Hollinger, maybe Hollinger, former, former Hollinger. Probably, he strikes me as a control F guy at this point. <laughs> okay. He's, uh, you know, he's all sad. He's been in the front office. He's got the he's got the heavy byline at the athletic. Mike Mike Vorkanov will probably do it because okay. he's on the business side. Jabari Young, I, right. like, and I made a mistake having you list everybody. But no, yeah. but I'm still not even. I'm the halfway to nine because we're all only right. counting Hollinger yeah. as half. Um, by the way, here's one thing that uh, that wasn't out there before. I don't think that I could tell you, and I don't have the document yet. But you know, people get looser with the details as we get further along. Uh, big time, big time fines now if you request a trade publicly. Oh wow! Yeah, 100. 100- I mean, okay, so it just means that that happens behind closed doors, and then it gets leaked. Like how many yeah. how many of those have actually happened in public where the guys step forward? Like even the Kevin Durant thing. Well, this like, is, and this is the thing what? is like is yeah. we now I now have to go into the details and see like oh yeah that'll be interesting. Well, Read that is part. It, okay? Is it like? you have to publicly say it yourself yeah. or like is if it, the leak can credibly be traced to you but 150k that's also nothing like yeah to kevin Durant. 
It's like, yeah, I'll stroke that check. No problem. Yeah. Uh, all right. But there's there's more fun stuff to come. But there is actually also like a ton of fun basketball tonight, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to talk about yesterday's, but we t- we talked a little yeah. bit about tonight. Okay, so like, so I think yesterday's the big thing is to talk about. Obviously, uh, well, do you want to do Trey Young or do you want to do Kawhi? I was going to do Trey and then okay. Kawhi, but uh, yeah, because we we got to get to Caleb Joseph. But mm-hmm. yeah, Trey Young, we were we were texting uh, the, during the the dying moments of that Celtics Hawks game, and I think you know previewing the game in, in our last call segment yesterday, you're like, oh, well, that one's done because it looked so very done. Yeah. Through the majority of that game, 13 point lead with six minutes to go for the Celtics as well. Joe Mazzula taking some heat as, yeah. uh, as Trey young was not double teamed, uh, hitting the eventual game winning three. Trey young also has this fascinating playoff stretch now where he has had these huge moments and huge games. If you look at his overall stats over three playoff appearances, like he is, he's not, it has not been very good. Yeah. in the playoffs. Like the counting stats are there, but he's like shooting 40% and shooting barely 29% on threes, but he has these big moments. And MSG previously too. He's, uh, he's, I I don't know that he's a up your game in the playoff guy, but he is absolutely an up your game in the big moment guy. Yeah. I think we can pretty safely say, and the result here is not that the Atlanta Hawks are going to beat the Boston Celtics. I don't think that the gap here in quality of team is so significant, but if you are looking ahead, and if you happen to be a Toronto Raptors fan who doesn't want to see the Boston Celtics do well, mm. well, what this series being extended to a sixth game does is bumps the start of the next round yeah, three cute. extra days, and Joel mm. Embiid was 50-50 per Doc Rivers yeah. to be able to play at the start of that 76er Celtics series. said for sure that he's coming back at all. I know, but three extra days is three extra days, and even if it's not game one, then it's three extra days for game two and three extra days for game three. It's, uh, it's a pretty big deal. So Trey Young... Uh, big assist yeah. to Joel Embiid. Um, we know Kawhi Leonard is not coming back this postseason because he's his, not coming back for a while. His team was eliminated um, without him. And there's been a lot of Kawhi discourse and some people, I guess, with sourced opinions about how the Clippers aren't that pleased with the process of the Kawhi thing, that he does his own thing and just tells him when he's available and when he's not available, which I guess. And then we even saw some Ty Lu, like some frustration starting to creep in where you know, you you started to infer like how hurt. We know he's suffered some catastrophic injuries, but we also know, hey, back in San Antonio, there was a team meeting about, hey, can you play through any of this? So you wondered, but no, torn meniscus. This is a legit deal now. Torn some- meniscus and on top of a torn ACL, all within two years, in the same leg that he had the quadriceps tendinopathy while he was with the Spurs, which was the degenerative issue that required load management that he had disagreement with the Spurs on. Now it's a weird thing where. He certainly looks right for having wanted to take special care of that leg and be extremely mm-hmm. meticulous and, and cautious with it. But also all those injuries still happen. And he yeah. o- he's only gotten one full playoff run since then. Happened to be with the Toronto Raptors and lead to an NBA championship. It sucks, man. Like, I, I don't know what you do with this from a Clippers and a sports science perspective. I really don't know what you do with it from a Kawhi perspective. Like, I, I can't even imagine how frustrating and... He wants to play basketball. Yeah, and like how lonely this all feels when people are like questioning yeah. whether they're legitimate. And, and like we know, like I know from being around 2019, I know the level of work Kawhi put in. Even when that team would cancel shootarounds in the morning, yeah. he would be there getting his lift in and getting all his exercises in. We heard J.J. Redick on first take outline that uh, one time when J.J. Redick was at the MBPA office in New York, he would go there during downtime and run into Kawhi there and the level of detail and extremity that Kawhi was going to, to get his leg right and be able to play. 
all of that aside, from a fan perspective, it sucks. Like, I do, have we seen someone better than playoff Kawhi? Like, no, in our in time this series, watching, in, the, in the brief time that we saw him in this series, he was all the way back. And like 2019 championship run Kawhi, like, yeah, we saw that with the Spurs too. Have we seen anyone else on that level? I know Giannis won a ring. I know LeBron mm-hmm. has a couple. Steph is Steph. I don't know that any of those guys at their very, very best in the playoffs matched. Probably LeBron did, but like. Kawhi's very, very best in the playoffs is a level that almost no one in the history of basketball can touch. And it certainly seems at this point into his 30s with yet another serious knee injury that we might not get to see it again. Nope. Uh, and he's he's under contract for one more year, and then there's a player option after this upcoming season. And you just, I mean, if you're the Clippers and you're Steve Ballmer, you just you keep doing well, it, I guess. You're opening a new stadium, not this year but next year yeah and you are not opening that stadium in a rebuild that's for sure no but yeah murky uh to say the very least uh Kawhi leonard's future yeah that 49 million dollar option for 2024 2025 probably picks it up we'll see i mean maybe he can go an entire season in a postseason being healthy and then i mean there's always one right there's, yeah. it only takes one and then you do the opt-out and and re-sign for a longer deal i am sure they would be they would love to do that because it means Kawhi. It's one of those things too, right? Where like, even if the next Kawhi deal, you know, is probably going to be bad because of the injury history. If what gets you to that point is a Kawhi championship run, it's all worth it, right? Like the Raptors would be over the moon gleeful to be dealing with these Kawhi Leonard problems right now because it would have meant he stayed and you'd have a second ring. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Ime Doka did his introductory news conference. Yeah. Taking some shots. Maybe. Well, it wasn't directly. I mean, so the. the eh, he said five seed yeah. ceiling. That feels pretty specific. Yeah. He, he did reference, hey, the Raptors reached out after. Hey, I mean, initially it was the, the Rockets and the Pistons. They had an opening and I was in communication. And then eventually it was the Raptors and talked to them too. But then had yada yada. And then it was like a couple sentences later. But like, yeah, this is more appealing because, you know, there's something about having like a five seed ceiling that's not all that appealing. Yeah. So. And what else are you going to say at the introductory news conference for you as the new head coach of the Houston Rockets? Like, obviously, you're going to talk about, hey, it wasn't just money or some other factors. It's, I think this team can win, but that does track with everything that we, yeah. we speculated about. And we, as we discussed, you know, it's not a... There is not nearly as much certainty that the Rockets will be any level of good in Ime Udoka's tenure there because, like, coaches don't last longer than five years very long and they don't have a ton of pieces right now like yeah Jalen Green, Jabari, Alperen Shangun like they have some stuff but if they don't get Wemby or Scoot it doesn't really like all the cap space and draft equity in the world doesn't really matter to a head coach taking this job over right now because all of that stuff is in the future and then even if you're Wemby like how many years is it before you are impacting winning in a significant way but if Emi Odoka has the contract flexibility and the ability to be patient and yeah you are there for the long haul then the path to being a contender is a lot clearer to see with all the picks in the world and all the cap space in the world and a 14 percent chance at victor ramanyama yep all right when we come back you say kikuchi has been very good was very good today uh caleb joseph was on the panel with jamie campbell for blue jay central he's also he was getting down still in his catcher's stance and yeah. everything still got it very impressive uh guy who also caught yusei kikuchi in spring with the uh, seattle mariners we will talk to caleb joseph next as the fan drive time continues ben annis blake murphy sportsnet 590 the fan and live on sportsnet 360 
big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. It is the fan drive time. It is Ben Ennis alongside Blake Murphy. And we are on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Somebody fixed Yusei Kikuchi. Perhaps Caleb Joseph was part of the solution. Uh, he's on Blue Jay Central doing a great job and joins us on the radio right now. Did you do it? Did you did you, you, you suggest that, that Yusei stop walking people? Well done. Well, I think Rob Manfred might have fixed Yusei yeah. Kikuchi with the introduction of the pitch clock. Uh, man, what a difference that has been and how he looks in just in terms of pace, in terms of him not thinking too much. We highlighted this on Blue Jays Central at the end of the game. I think it's just massively important. You can't talk enough about what it has done for Yusei to keep him on a roll and uh, keep him focused. This is a guy that comes from Japanese culture, which every Japanese player that I've ever played with and talked to, they're very mechanical, very in into the tidbits of uh, of being fundamentally sound and sometimes you can have paralysis by analysis and you can worry too much about where your finger is on the ball where your hand placement is if your stride's long enough and i think that was a uh, part of Yusei's problem now that the pitch clock has been introduced i feel like he doesn't have time all he has time to do is get the sign get on the mound rock and fire and it's uh, it's worked out really well for him so far no, it's been a joy to watch, honestly, Caleb. It's been unbelievable, uh, especially in comparison to, uh, I don't know what you would call it. I wouldn't call it a joy to watch him uh, the 30-plus times that we saw him last season. It was the opposite of that. Um, so it, it's shocking, yeah. honestly. Is it sustainable? Because the, they're not taking the, the pitch clock away, and if that is the factor, then shouldn't this be the guy that we see all season long? I think it's fair to say, and I think a lot of it, too, is the repeatability of his windup. He worked quite a bit at the uh, the pitching complex and in Dunedin with uh, Pete Walker and company trying to sure up that windup. And if you notice, I know Joe and, and Dan did a great job of highlighting that during the game today, that he really has changed. Uh, the hand placement is a little bit taller at the start. He doesn't have that real... Uh, pause at the top that most traditional Japanese pitchers will have when they raise their lead leg. It's more fluid. He, uh, he comes up, he breaks the hand from the glove to get that arm swing going quicker. And when you look at it, it's just a more simplified motion, which is repeatable. And I'll tell you, seeing the same thing with Brios as well, repeatable wind up. And a lot of times we forget, we talk about certain spin on balls. We talk about location but a lot of times you have to go back to the beginning, and a lot of it has to do with just repeatability of windup. Can that pitcher repeat it? You say he's been able to repeat his windup, and it was never about stuff. We, it's kind of the, the tale of, of, of two of the same guys. We've seen Brios and Kikuchi. They've done the kind of the same thing. They flashed the stuff, and it's just all about consistency. Well, I think both of their windups have been shored up, and it's really, really starting to take shape. Caleb, that is all great as far as the fastball slider combination goes. One thing I've noticed too, though, that might go beyond the pitch clock or, or might actually be to do with the stuff is he's throwing his change up a lot more these last couple starts than he did at any point last year. In fact, uh, four of his five starts this year would have been almost or actually his highest change up usage all of last year. The one start where he didn't use his change up a lot 
coincidentally, the start against the Angels where he wasn't very effective overall. Sure. Um, what are you seeing sure. with Kikuchi's changeup? And, you know, how much is that of that is related to the repeated delivery? And how much of it is just, you know, trusting a, a third pitch the same way you're trusting your first two? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with just trusting that pitch. Goodness, I was kind of beating that drum. It seemed like every time I came on the radio with you guys last year was throw the splitty, throw the split changeup, whatever you want to call it, throw it. It's a great pitch, especially to right-handers. Goodness, I don't even know if there's a left-hander in the big leagues outside of Chasen Shreve, who we just saw in town not too long ago, Detroit, I think maybe, um, that throws a left-on-left split. I actually asked Don Mattingly, hey, have you ever faced a left-on-left split? He said a couple times, and then I did not like it. So I I wouldn't even be surprised if in the maturation process he might even try and throw that left-on-left split changeup in certain scenarios. But, look, that split is such a great pitch because it moves away from the right-handed hitters. You have that forcing fastball at the top, that cutter slider that can kind of vary between – a cutter and a slider. You have more depth with that slider that goes towards the back foot. The cutter, he's been throwing back door a little bit more to right-handers, which is on purpose. Mm. Um, And so everything kind of runs in. And with the high-velocity fastball, you got to really get it going. You say Kikuchi is is in the top five in terms of left-handed fastball velocities in the big leagues. And so hitters know that going into it. And when you face a guy like that, you try and get sped up. You're ready to hit the hardest pitch that he has. And so that's why you get a ton of swing and miss with that slider underneath. But what it also does, it keeps you on one side of the plate. So to throw that split outside that's moving away from the right-handed hitters, it opens up a whole new world, and it just allows him to expose a part of the plate that he wasn't really exposing last year. You couple that split that moves away from the right-handed batters and the backdoor cutter that's playing the X game on the outer half, Now you take their eyes to the outer half part of the plate. It totally exposes the inner half with the fastball back foot slider. So it's all about getting certain pitches to certain zones and not allowing those hitters to box him into a certain spot on the plate Mm -hmm. and into a certain speed. I love it. It's just pitchability. It's insurance. He's built insurance pockets for each pitch. That's how you are. That's how you're successful in the big leagues. And that's how you're, sustainably successful in the big leagues and how you go on long winning streaks is by having the starting pitching that the blue jays have trotted out there the the last couple of times through uh the rotation and yeah now winners of four straight after this three game series sweep of the chicago white Sox. that also helps to to score eight runs but only hit one home run was a solo home run like what, what are you seeing out of the offense here caleb because i was talking just a couple of days ago about hey Maybe the bottom of the order maybe needs some lengthening there. But, hey, Whit Merrifield every day, it's seeming like he's two hit Whit. Uh, Santiago Espinal steps back into the lineup after getting hit by a pitch, and he has three hits today. Yep. What, what, what are you seeing about seeing offensively out of the, the bottom half of this Blue Jays lineup? We use the term dynamic in the postgame show, and I don't know if you could say that last year, guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I really feel like the team was looking for that three-run homer constantly. And this team creates action, whether it's a hit and run, which we saw today with uh, Whit Merrifield and um, I think it was Varsho, maybe, at uh, a run. Right. Whether it's a double steal, uh, Merrifield stealing a couple third bases in the series, you start to create traffic. And first off, you have to get on base, which I've noticed this team has a really, really 
good knack for drawing walks. And they, they just, they have a overall really good batter's eye. And these guys have bought into the team philosophy and aspect that they want to get on base and start creating traffic on the base pass. So look, I'm in, I'm all for the three run Homer. And I think those will happen those, This team is going to hit a ton of homers. I just love the fact that they're really dynamic right now that John Schneider can put a hit and run on and really start to create a bunch of different scenarios. Because what does that do that? What that does for a pitcher is you start to, you start to get a reputation as a team. This team is going to hit and run. They're going to steal. You got to make sure you, you keep your times low because five of the seven guys uh, in this part of the order are going to run. So let's make sure we're quick to the plate. And before you know it, that pitcher starts to lose a little bit of focus on the execution of the pitch ahead. And so it all kinds of it all kind of works full circle in terms of these guys get on base, they start to really create havoc, and then they start leaving some meatballs in the middle of the plate. And that's when you start seeing some extra base hits. You start seeing that pitcher squeeze the ball a little bit harder, and then you see the three run homer. And it's all about building the big inning. I've said this for a while. Most major league games are won and lost with the big inning. Well, you've got to have table setters to do that. The bottom of the order has done such a great job getting on base and starting to really be dynamic in terms of how they get on base and what they do when they're on base, giving John Schneider a ton of options and flexibility that as soon as they turn it over, boy, the big boys at the top are just feasting. It's been good to see, and I think this is how you can sustain winning over long periods of time is not being totally reliant on the long ball. Caleb, you mentioned the the base running as well, and we saw that Merrifield-Espinal double steal today that, that pushes the Jays up to 18 stolen bases on the season, which in 25 games seems like a lot, but that's just kind of like league average now, uh, even if you look at stolen base attempts because the Jays are on the higher end of caught stealing. Uh, There's one stolen base attempt per game is basically right in line with league average. One thing we've seen, though, is, yeah, stolen base attempts are way, way up, and that doesn't seem to be changing. Catchers have progressively, over the course of this month, done a better job throwing base runners out. Um, what have you learned watching some of the catchers in, in how they contribute to controlling the running game with way more stolen base attempts right now? Yeah, a lot of it, uh, this is going to sound so catcher-esque. <laughs> a lot of the stolen base happens with a pitcher. It really does. And I remember talking to Pete Walker in spring training, and he was ranting and raving about how quickly their pitchers were to the plate. So it's really, really simple. I mean, you have to, you have to bank on a 2.0 throw from home to second base, meaning two seconds from the, the minute the ball hits the mitt to the minute that the, the ball hits the, the fielder's glove in the middle of the diamond at second base. You, you figure two seconds there, and if, if uh, the pitcher is 1.3 seconds, that's pretty good. That's a 3.3 total, two seconds plus 1.3. That's kind of league average. That's where you're probably not going to go. Anything above a 1.3 from a pitcher, let's say he's 1.5, 1.6, that is usually a green light for anybody with speed. That's accounting for 3.6 seconds to get the ball down to second base on a stolen base. Any any sort of decent jump with that type of speed, it's almost impossible for a guy to throw anybody out at the catcher position. And so you just kind of work these little uh, analytics, I guess. And it's really simple. And that's what Pete Walker was saying. He was so excited about is getting all of their guys, all of the Blue Jays pitchers as close to one, three as possible without sacrificing location and quality of pitch. Now you look at Danny Jensen and he's historically been a really good thrower. He's got a really good transfer 
Uh, he's always kind of really carried a nice four seam down there. And Alejandro Kirk, you were really starting to see that arm strength kind of come back. I think that Kirk missing the uh, first couple of weeks of spring training with the birth of his uh, first child, I really think that kind of set him back a little bit. I feel like he's really starting to settle in and the reps are really coming. That bat speed's coming as well. But the throwing is, is another thing that's, uh, that's progressing really nicely as well. That, that throwing arm starting to really shaping up and, and has some good velocities. But at the end of the day, if, if the total from pop time, catcher, catch the ball to infielder, catch it and pitcher time from when he starts to when the ball hits the mitt, if that is anywhere, anywhere over 3.5, it's usually a green light. So when the, when the pitchers are keeping it nice and tight, you'll see, uh, you'll see the catchers really have a chance. And nine times out of 10, they're going to put a good strike on it and deliver a good tag on the back end. You'll see caught stealings. Uh, we did not see Nate Pearson today, but we saw him yesterday in his uh, first major league appearance of the season. He touched uh, 100. He hit the first guy right in the back, but then after that, he bounced back in a, in, in a big way. I mean, could this guy be a back-of-the-bullpen weapon for this team? Yeah, why not? Uh, Triple-digit fastball, who doesn't want one of those? I mean, I think everybody would sign up for seven, eight, nine of those guys in the system in general, and it's never been about stuff. I remember catching him in 2020, and, boy, the stuff was just absolutely electric. I caught Mm -hmm. a guy in in double-A, Jumbo Diaz, that threw a triple-digit fastball, and it it was light, and I felt like I could just tweeze it, just feather, feather feather-like in its lightness. And uh, this is not the case with Pearson. Pearson throws a heavy 100 and it's, it's a little bit sporadic and that kind of effective wildness that he presents is intimidating as a hitter. I can remember facing a couple guys that were coming up from double a throwing 97, 99 in the big leagues. And you just didn't really want to dig in because you didn't know exactly where it was going. I think Pearson's got way more of a clue than that reference that I just, uh, alluded to but it's all about getting ahead throwing strikes and then allowing those breaking pitches to work the sliders elite it's really really good i love this this curveball that he's throwing he threw it quite a bit in triple a i talked to him uh, when he first showed up a couple days ago and he was ranting and raving about the separation he likes in speed if you're talking about a hundred mile an hour fastball and 83 with the curveball with that type of depth that he showed yesterday you're talking about 17 mile an hour difference that's a really, really good combo. Plus, the curveball really tunnels and plays well off of that four seam. So it's just about him taking hold of this opportunity and sticking. It's never been about stuff. It's been a little bit about health and a little bit about confidence. So if he can gain a little bit of confidence, which I think he did yesterday in throwing up a zero in his first outing, confidence will breed success and vice versa. And the more confidence he gets, I think you're going to really see something special. Hopefully mm. all Blue Jays fans look back and say, whatever to them, yesterday's date is that that was the day that Nate Pearson showed up and stayed because uh, to have that triple digit with type fastball in, in the, in the bullpen is, uh, is something that the Jays could really, really use. Yeah. That was the day he became president or uh, sorry, back end bullpen. Guy. <laughs> uh, uh, Caleb, Great job, buddy. Uh, and uh, we'll talk again soon. See ya. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, guys. Caleb Joseph of uh, Blue Jays Central. And it is time now for Last Call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Start with the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, shall we? As the Panthers trying to stave off elimination in Boston, where the Bruins have Patrice Bergeron. The first time in the series. Um, 
And the Bruins, naturally, with the big lead, with all the wins during the regular season, massive favorites, minus 265. The Panthers, plus 205, 7 o'clock game, of course, on Sportsnet. The Kraken and Avalanche. This Is this right? That the, the Avalanche in a tied series are minus 1,200? That can't no. be right. There's, that, that, <laughs> there's no way. They are the, the Avalanche are actually minus uh, 120, I would, minus I would think. 200. Okay. All right. Yeah, All right. That's 950. Digit, extra digit in there. It's on Sportsnet. Uh, NBA postseason. The Knicks trying to put away the uh, Cavaliers. Uh, Minus five and a half are the Cavs at home. Grizzlies trying to stay alive against the Lakers. Minus four. Bucks, 11 and a half point favorites trying to stave off elimination as well. And the uh, Warriors, two point favorites on the road in Sacramento uh, trying to take a series lead on the Kings. And that was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Minus 1200 is, is a heavy. That would have been a favorite. little bit much. Yeah. That's like an out-of-conference basket, like <laughs> like Kentucky against, I don't know, Appalachian State. Is that the joke Adam Sandler always made in the longest yard? Yeah. Yeah, that's minus 1,200 is a bit much. It certainly is. It's like All right. me and you got in the ring. That's I <laughs> Yes, but which way am I thinking? All right, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. It's Leafs game five with a chance to close out the lightning. We'll go uh, wall-to-wall coverage on that tomorrow. It's uh, been the fan drive time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360.